check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell, and this show is brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Longtime supporters of Inside Carolina, uh, family-owned, alumni-operated, just absolute great folks. Check them out, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. You may have seen Nike released new official throwbacks from some of UNC's most notable players, including the head man on the bench, Tyler Hansborough, and also Sean May, another guy that's on staff right now. You can get those at JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Check them out. We appreciate them sponsoring the show. And with that, let's get into it. Coast to coast. All right. Appreciate you guys being here. I'm Joey Powell for Inside Carolina. With me, as always, Cheryl McMillan, Sean Moran. Fellas, how are you? Sean, what's up, what's up out there on the, on the left coast? Uh, nice weather and another week on the emotional roller coaster that is uh, UNC basketball. Yeah, was, was the game as awful out there as it was here? Yeah, because you had more time to think about it before you oh, went, wow. to, went to sleep. Good point. Cheryl, how are you, man? <laughs> I'm good. No complaints. No complaints. Well, no that's complaints. Uh, I appreciate your cloak of positivity to enshroud us as we get started tonight. Uh, fellas, let's let's just get it out of the way. Yes, the Tar Heels did beat Louisville in a game they absolutely had to have. And as you thought they might be able to carry some of that momentum and what they learned at Louisville into the game against our tribal Duke on Saturday, they absolutely did not. And there are plenty of things we can talk about, but I think the biggest are the Tar Heels – Lose their first game at home this year, drop to eight and four in the conference, 16 and seven on the year. They are still tied for fourth in the ACC uh, with Miami, but Miami obviously has the tiebreaker as we record this right now. And importantly, they, they lose their four game winning streak. And as we've talked before, this team needs as many wins as they can get. But the biggest thing I'm taking away after watching that game against Duke, UNC is 0 and seven in quad one games. And as we know now, that determines where you fall in the NCAA tournament if you get an at-large bid. And guys, the first thing I want to tee up for you, not only are they 0-7 in quad one games, they've been absolutely skull-dragged in a lot of those games. Sherell, have you ever seen anything like this where a team seems to be able to beat less, less than or equal competition, but when it comes to teams that are better than they are talent-wise, they just absolutely wilt? No. And... It's uh, there's not really much to say, honestly. I know we are tasked with putting together a weekly podcast on Carolina basketball, and people come to us uh, to some degree for insights and uh, you know, knowledge and you know, sourced information. But there's nothing that's happened with UNC basketball since Saturday that you can really explain. Um, there were players who talked about following the game, talked about lack of energy, and talked about lack of effort. and. I know they said that in the moment, but I don't really know if I can believe that because it's just so unbelievable that it, it, it's just it, it, it blows my mind 
that that is true. It seemed like more guys just reaching for something because they don't know how to fix whatever is wrong. And I think they don't even know what the problem is. That's yep. the main issue. Yep. You can't go about solving it without knowing what you're solving. And it seems systemic with this kind of core group of the guys who have been here for two years. We've talked about it several times. We're around right at 50 games and um, they kind of are where they are at this point. I think we've seen it over and over. It's not a surprise. Like the roller coaster goes up and the roller coaster goes down depending upon, you know, whether or not the team they're playing is good. Uh, it was interesting because it was two kind of streaks going against each other it was they've been really good at home. They've uh, mm-hmm. played great defense at home. Um, you know, darn near unbeatable at home the last two years versus they can't beat anybody good. And we saw which one won out on Saturday. And, you know, Duke is one of the teams, I think, I, I know I've, I've got some grief for my talent comment, which I will not back down from, but Duke is one of those teams that has more talent than UNC. Um, still, you know, it, it's, it's a situation where I don't think anyone rational would say, oh man, they lost to Duke, that's terrible. Because Duke is a very good team. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with Kentucky and the same thing uh, with Tennessee and the same thing with Miami and the same thing with Wake Forest is that you can lose games, but you cannot wilt and, and quiver um, and be down by you know 30 at home to Duke. That's just unacceptable. And I've seen people try to rationalize like, oh, it's not that bad. You know, don't overreact. No, they, they lost at home and were embarrassed at home to their arch rival. Um, down by 30 points in the second half that's that's just it's not it's not really comprehensible and so i i don't think there's any i don't think any fan should get on another one for being upset and maybe going off the deep end after that game because it's, it's justified and the i think one of the many things that are sticking in in our fans and subscribers crawl right now are the fact that unc was never in that game um you know for various reasons early on and sean i want to come to you for a little bit of analysis um, the matchup with Baycott on Paolo Bancaro, I don't think anybody saw that coming. I know when we did Inside Carolina Live on Saturday to preview the game, Tommy Ashley and I, we kind of went back and forth as to who was going to end up guarding Bancaro, whether it would be uh, Leaky Black or whether it would be Brady Manick, but none of us saw Armando Baycott being that guy. And I think if you would have said coming into the game, the worst thing that the Tar Heels cannot have happen is for Armando Baycott to be taken out of the game, either due to foul trouble or whatever. And of course, three minutes in, he's guarding uh, Bancaro. Granted, only one of those fouls was while he was guarding Bancaro, but he was out of position, which caused his second foul. Sean, can you help us understand maybe what the logic would be behind that matchup? I'm not asking you to be Hubert Davis or the staff, but you watch a lot of basketball from a very in-tune analytical perspective. Is there something there that maybe would have worked out in the Tar Heels' favor uh, th- that maybe the staff saw that they thought they could exploit? I mean, I think, uh, you know, when, when I saw it, that first possession, I was I was pretty surprised. I think going into it, it was, you know, the question was, can, you know, what's going to be the difference between Manic and Banchero on, on both sides of the ball? Uh, you know, because every team that plays UNC – They've been taking whoever's there for and uh, from the beginning looking to attack Manic. So, yep. you know, obviously they, they knew Banchero would, would attack Manic. Uh, so wanted to get him off of him on, on kind of a non-offensive player. But at the same time, putting Baycott, who, you know, is not a, a perimeter defender. Granted, I, you know, that first shot that Ban, Banchero hit, you know, I thought the defense was actually decent. It was just a good, good shot, which he, he does. But 
was again putting him in tough situations. Uh, but I think it, you know, it goes to the question which we saw in the second half. And I, for one, had uh, you know probably slept on Griffin in terms of his talent level and, and his ability. Uh, because I mean, once once they put Leaky on Bancaro, for the most part, he, he shut him down until the the end in an extremely impressive defensive performance. But then at the start of the second half when you say, okay, they're only down 11, it would have been nicer if they'd been down eight, if RJ had hit one of those shots at the end or something to that extent, but it didn't really matter with how Duke came out and, and how UNC came out um, with Duke attacking Manic now with, with Griffin. Um, so, you know, in that game, there's always going to be one significant mismatch. I think in, in the majority of past UNC Duke games, there always has been, you know, how is UNC going to def- defend that four position? Um, you know, whether it's Jason Tatum or, who, you know, whoever it is last year, you know, with, with Matthew Hurd, it was a little easier because he wasn't going to, you know, athletic enough to attack the basket, but here there's going to be that athletic mismatch and, you know, Duke exploited it both, uh, both, uh, starts of the half. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about, you know, the mismatches, something I think that is also very frustrating when you're watching this team is the fact that this team is less than the sum of its parts. Sherell alluded to it earlier. He's still going to stand on that mountain and talk about the talent that this team has collectively. But have you ever seen a group of players that together are not as good as the talent of individuals? Because I think that's what we're seeing right now. And, and you can look at it from an emotional or psychological standpoint, but I think just however you want to break it down, when you look at it, the players that are coming out for UNC right now seem to be uh, less cohesive and, and that's making the team performance less than what you would see with the talent. Do you have any ideas of what might be causing that? I, I mean, you know, last year they, they basically beat Duke by 20 at home. This year they lose to them by 20 at home. Uh, I, I think once again, from a, you know, there is talent there from a name perspective, obviously it's, it's big names, but you know, when you're, when you're looking at UNC Duke, um, once again, you're not really talking about any NBA players from, from UNC's perspective. Uh, and Duke, you're looking at four potential first round picks. Um, you know, Caleb Love is shooting 22% from the inside the three point line over the last, you know, six, seven ACC games. Um, RJ Davis struggle, you know, the, the guards are one for 13 at the half. Um, but I think, you know, really they were, uh, you know, I, I knew offensive, you know, defensively would be a challenge, but I was surprised at how UNC came out offensively, uh, looking, you know, just not, you know, out of sorts, uh, which maybe you could expect at Cameron, but not, not at home, uh, with, with Leakey taking a contested deep two, you know, long jumper, which you thought had gotten out of his system and then, you know, forcing up threes, uh, as opposed to, here's what we want to do on the first three possessions of either Baycott down low or, or Brady and pick and pop. Um, and, you know, it, it was like a train running downhill uh, that it was just like, when is this going to stop? So, yeah, I don't know if it's, it's chemistry. It's, it, you know, it is talent, um, but, it, you know, there, there are, are issues and it doesn't help when there isn't any, any bench, <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's been developed either. And you've got Manic playing 41 and 35 minutes. It was just, absolutely gassed in the in the second half so it's a good question but you know there's definitely once again I think it goes to to talent and you can just look at 
who UNC offered uh, in last year's class. They, they offered probably half of the top 20, didn't get any of them. Um, and you have Duke with, with three, you know, three of them, plus somebody like Mark Williams who returns, uh, who was at the same rank as Dayron Sharp. And if you got Dayron in the NBA, so, um, you know, it's a, a pretty big talent, talent mismatch and it goes back to recruiting. So that, that was kind of a long-winded, windy answer, <laughs> but a lot of thoughts obviously going on with, with what's, where the status of the program is. Sorry, man. Sometimes a postulate is not a very short answer. So I appreciate that. Sherelle, I think Sean hit the nail on the head. And I think, again, this is something else that longtime Carolina fans, longtime Aussie subscribers can't wrap their heads around. Uh, how is the talent gap so big between uh, teams like, you know, teams like Duke right now to a point that that North Carolina basketball and as painful as it might be for folks to hear this, North Carolina basketball is nationally irrelevant. And I think they have been for a couple of years. Uh, and even more so if you can separate the fact that, you know, they're going through a coaching change behind a Hall of Fame coach. What can they do uh, to, 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 I guess, to mask those talent gaps? Is it, you know, does it have to be bringing on, you know, bringing in some of these new guys? Is it, is it going to be all about finding the right fit in the portal? Because a guy like Brady Manick, the three of us talked last year about what a huge, though he was kind of almost an afterthought from recruiting, what a huge asset Kerwin Walton was. Well, Brady Manick was an, an April ad this year, and I, I'm wondering what this team would look like without him. Sherelle, what can this team do to help bridge that talent gap, whether it's this year or kind of going towards next year? Is there anything that can kind of give Tar Heel fans a little bit of hope on the intermediate horizon? Um, this year, you, you would say the answer would be, we'll dig in and double down and work harder and try harder and do all those things. But this team has shown no interest really in doing that over the course of this season and really dating back to last season. So you can't count on that. So I think you'll see them, you know, be teams who aren't good, uh, play tough games against teams who are, are on par with them and lose to teams who are better than them. Is that enough to get into the NCAA tournament? We'll see. We, we talked about six and four going down the stretch. You know, now Clemson's not a Q1 it wouldn't be a Q1 win anymore. So that is uh, not great. Um, they're going to have to defend their home court and they're going to have to find two road wins somehow, some way. Uh, so, uh, you know, this year, I don't really see an answer this year. I think it just, you know, not to be blase, but it just kind of is what it is with this team. You know, maybe if they get in the tournament, maybe, you know, somebody gets hot for a game or two and they, they get a win or two in the tournament. But, I mean, I, I think that's far-fetched at this point. <laughs> the goal is just trying to get into the tournament somehow. So, you know, I, I think we'll just have to wait and see on that. <clears throat> as far as moving forward, I, I think you have to hope that the inverse is true moving forward, that even if you are a little bit less talented on paper um, when it comes to recruiting rankings or transfer rankings or whatever, that the individuals play more cohesive and more – as a team and, and have more buy-in and, and are together and kind of have a shared vision for where they want to go. You can overcome a lot when you are together and when you're working hard and being smart. And this team hasn't been able to do that. So I think that's the hope for next season is depending upon who's back and who leaves and once all that stuff clears that they use the portal um, effectively again. I think, you know, Hubert Davis should be commended for how Brady Manick turned out. Um, you know, Garcia and McCoy haven't quite turned out the way they expected, but 
I think we all agree they hit a home run with Manic. Um, but yeah, you have to hit the portal um, and then just hope that the, the cohesion can make up for maybe a little bit of a drop in overall talent that the team has. And I think moving forward, I think you'll see Hubert Davis as he starts to imprint himself on the program and on the team. Um, I think you'll see him look for guys who will literally like bleed on the floor to win. I'm not talking figuratively, like cut me because I want to win. Yes, that's mm-hmm. how much I want to win. I think he'll look for guys like that, which tends to be guys who are undervalued, um, people mm-hmm. with chip, chip, chips on their shoulder who maybe were overlooked. Uh, I think that is the immediate path out is to stack, try to still go for the elites, but um, instead of going for guys who like, you know, just outside of the elite, go for some of these guys who want to be there, who want to really play hard and who want to do all the energy effort and toughness stuff that Hubert has talked about that. I think that's the quickest path path out and, and path back to relevance, as you said. And then from there, if you can get one or two of the top 15 guys, then you can start getting things rolling again. Um, but right now it's just, you know, we've talked about, you shouldn't have to look in the mirror seven mm-hmm. times a season. For so many times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> stop looking in the mirror, just go do it. And, they just aren't capable of it right now, I guess. Well, that's one of the reasons, uh, one of the many reasons you and I are absolute kindred spirits because uh, I actually, you know, not that anybody cares, but for the purpose of this conversation, I actually tweeted yesterday, after, you know, about two thirds of the way through the game that North Carolina needs some dudes. You guys know how much of a fan I am of dudes, but North Carolina needs some guys that would rather win than breathe. And, and I think that's kind of your point when you talk about guys, you know, cut me. Cause I want to bleed and I want to win. And, you know, if go ahead. It, and it sounds cliche, like, Oh, they're just, they're just running off of the mouth, but there are, there are guys like that. Joey yes. knows them. Sean knows them. There are people who will do anything it takes to win. And, you know, I, I don't mean to assail the character of this current team because I'm sure they're trying hard. And I know that they've worked hard to be in the position that they're in, but I, I it's not consistent one through 13 on that roster. And I don't know how anyone could look at it and say that it is. Uh, so that's what they, uh, to me, that's the path out is you've got to stack the roster with more guys who are willing to do whatever it takes to win and then try to additionally get that, you know, top 10, top 15 talent to go with it. In my mind, that also, you know, that also manifests itself as in if you're comparing a guy who might have more talent with a guy who, you know, is, is slightly less talented, but has that dog in him, you take the second guy, right? Right. And, I don't, and again, it's not I don't think it needs to be a permanent thing sure. because overall you want as much talent as you can get. But in this interim, as they go into the offseason, I think the program kind of has a hard reset, a, a soft reboot, if you will. Yeah. Um, I think that's where you need to go, because that's going to build the culture. That's another thing. You know, North Carolina program has not been good the last three years. Let's just be honest. And so losing and, you know, bad habits and, and culture, that stuff is is. Um, infectious it it and not infectious in a bad way um it can fester and it can turn stuff bad quickly and so you have to root out that kind of stuff and people who care more about winning than themselves sometimes help to get rid of that stuff i'm not saying that they have a systemic you know culture issue but i do think after three years some stuff can stop to start to pop up and stuff can start to grow and you have to smash that out as quickly as possible one of the things that Tar Heel fans saw happen this past week was uh, just a really tough performance from Caleb Love in two games. And Sean, I want to ask you this. When you have a player like Caleb Love, who, who is incredibly talented, who is incredibly gifted, um, 
actually, you know, to rip off a, a Ted Lassoism, you know, has, you know, has the, the mind of a goldfish sometimes in a sense that he just, he's going to come back and be a hero regardless of what happens in the play before he still has in his mind that he can, he can change the game and make winning plays for his team every time down. But when he's in a funk, like he was at the end of regulation against Louisville. And when he does things like he did um, in a couple of sequences against Duke, uh, would it be better to bring him over and just park him for a little bit and let him watch to see, you know, to see what's happening in the game, if nothing else, maybe for a pattern interrupt? Yeah, I mean, you would you would think, but so far we've we've yet for the most part to see it until uh, you know until it's really too late. And you know, with there, there's there's a few questions of well, if you take him out, who's who's coming in? Because outside of RJ, you know, they they haven't developed anybody off the bench that they can that they can count on or, or feel comfortable. Uh, he really is the only guy that can truly penetrate. Um, I, I think. It would be it would help to get him, you know, if if he starts going in that direction to sit on the bench and, and talk to him before before it spirals like we saw in, in Louisville. Um, you know, I think every now and then you see him attack and, and make a nice pass to to Brady and or or Baycott and you say, Man, if if he could just <laughs> do that all the time. But once again, I mean, right now, you know, you look at his his two point numbers on the season. Uh, it, it's right on par where it was last year, 36%, which is horrific. Um, 28% in the ACC. Uh, obviously, he's been shooting the ball better from the three-point line. But I think for him, it's like, okay, what you know, what it, what do I feel comfortable doing? Um, you know, maybe it's it's taking a pull-up, open jump shot, or if I can get to the lane and I can finish, you know, do that. But if I don't have that, I'm either looking looking for a, a big man or I'm, I'm kicking it back out versus forcing the issue, which seems to be his, his MO. And once again, just going back to, he's got great length, but he doesn't have great explosiveness. And that gets him in, in trouble when he does go off one foot and he is in traffic. Um, so, you know, he, he, he's one of the highest usage players on the, on the team, the ball's in his hands a lot. Uh, and, you know, you would, you would hope to see kind of, his game continue to grow. And I think that's needed by, you know, more timeouts during the game or, or taking him out when, when he needs to sit. But so far we haven't seen that. So I, I don't, I wouldn't foresee it coming <laughs> over the, the last stretch of, of games. Well, I, I appreciate that insight again. I, I recognize that that's kind of, it's kind of touchy when you're talking about, you know, one specific player because Caleb Love has been great at times this year, but again, when the lights have been brightest, um, you know, at least this season, uh, and you've had full, you know, full stadiums. Um, he's kind of had something just not not click the way that that you would expect it to for a guy that's as talented as he is. Um, Sherelle, you mentioned it. When we were talking before the show. That environment last night was absolutely amazing. I think that um, you know, for again, for a program that has the history that North Carolina does, that's mired in kind of the the change that they're going through right now, not only with the change in administration, but you know, that they've had two really, really subpar years, at least by this program standards, that atmosphere last night was, was really off the charts. Do you think that, you know, you would think with, with the, the 12 and 0, and I know I'm kind of rambling, but stay with me here. Um, with the 12 and 0 record going into last night, uh, do you think that's something that they can get back if the fans can kind of stick with it and, and get them to, I guess, will this team to, to, 
getting back to their winning ways at home because they need every game from here on out that they can get. Do you think they can feed off of that the way they were prior to the Duke game? Do you think they can kind of just throw that out of their head? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's why I don't know if I – I know players said it, but I just don't know if I buy that they weren't into it or they didn't try hard because you look at you look at it and they were. They were into it. The crowd was going crazy. Um, and then Duke just punched them, and they never got up. I mean, it was an instant – you know, an instant knockout. It was, I mean, you know, the hardest right cross possible and Carolina's just on the mat and just didn't even try to get up. They were just down. Um, and I think that is what the players start talking about when they, when they talk about a lack of energy or lack of, lack of toughness or whatever. It's just Duke just overwhelmed them with talent and overwhelmed them with offensive ability and skill. Um, but, you know, North Carolina made a little, little bit of a comeback there late in the second, in the first half, you know, they were down by 23 and had a couple of shots to get it into single digits. And a lot of that, aside from Brady Manick was just the sheer energy in the Smith center kind of telling people, um, you know, to tell the, not telling people, but telling the team to just, you know, pick it up, let's go. Um, because you could tell they were ready to burst. They were ready to go wild and that kind of home atmosphere is worth a few points. I mean, you know, that's why Vegas always gives you a few points at home because of the atmosphere. And I think even this year um, and the last couple of games when there were fans last season, that's why, you know, North Carolina probably needed a couple more, you know, instead of three, maybe give North Carolina five uh, when they're at home because it's much easier to shoot when everyone's supporting you. It's much easier to rebound. It's much easier to get your offense going when, you know, there's 20,000 people yelling your name, um, wanting you to do well. And so that's where I'm at. I, I think, um, we talked about, I hate to keep saying we talk about, but, you know, we, we've mentioned it, that that was going to be a tough one at home. Their toughest game of the season mm-hmm. left was at home. Uh, and so if they can just win out from here on, at, at home, you know, I still think they have a good shot of making the NCAA tournament. But um, the Smith Center and, and, and the fans have to come back out next week against Florida State to really make a difference. People always say, you know, I have no control over the Carolina game and it runs my heart rate up and I have to take my nerve pills, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but there's a chance you can't help out. You know, if you go to the Smith Center and be loud, this is one of those teams where I really think, um, you know, a, a couple of loud, um, you know, times, a couple of loud 10 or 15 minutes could be the difference between the NCAA tournament and not. I absolutely feel like that if R.J. Davis hits that corner three with about a minute and a half left in the first against Duke and gets it under single digits, I think the roof would have exploded. But uh, that's that's just one spectator's opinion. All right, two games this week uh, at Clemson on Tuesday at 6 o'clock, which change your dinner plans or eat early, uh, and then hosting Florida State next Saturday. Sean, what's one thing the Tar Heels need to get back to this week to win those games? One thing they need to get back to, uh, you know, you want to say defense, but uh, they haven't been a, been a strong defensive team all year. Um, I mean, I think it's just trying to be more consistent, uh, especially in terms of, of taking, working to take better shots within the flow of the offense and working to get Armando going early. I mean, Brady has been playing out of his mind offensively uh, the, la- the last several games shooting close to 50% from, from three uh, leaky has been, been playing better, but it's really going to be up, you know, once again, it, it kind of, you know, as the guards go, the, the team goes and if they can work to take better shots. Uh, I, I think that that will definitely help. Um, but, you know, w- once again, it was nice to get the win at Louisville. 
I would have liked to have seen when they did get that 10 point lead and they had a chance to get it to 12 before it all collapsed. But, you know, I think Clemson's right, right now on Kempon, they're projected to lose by one point. Uh, but that's the team from a talent perspective that, you know, Armando should have his way inside. And, and I think it's up to, you know, how the guards play, uh, you know, starting out on the road because Clemson has given them trouble lately, but it's really just going to be playing, playing consistent offensively um, and working to make sure the assist to turnover ratio is not negative. Jarrell, same question. What's something that this team has to get back to, to win these two games this week? You know, I hate to agree, not hate to agree with John, but I, I agree <laughs> with John <laughs> in that I, I think it has to be offensively in the shooting because the shooting was just so bad um, against Duke and and to some degree um, in, in some of the other games outside of um, NC State and Georgia Tech. So they, they did a great job of, uh, not NC State and Georgia Tech, I'm sorry. They did a great job of shooting um, two games in a row and then Louisville and um NC State. So they yeah. sandwiched those right together. But the games before that, they were terrible. Boston College so and Virginia Tech. Hope yes. that Boston College and Virginia Tech. So the hope, I guess, is that the offense went down the roller coaster and now will go up it a little bit. Uh, because when they went to Clemson last year, it was one of the uglier non-Virginia offensive performances, you know, that Carolina's had in some time. Uh, it was really, really bad. Now, obviously, a different offensive system, but, you know, Caleb Love and R.J. Davis and Curran Walton and Leaky Black and Armando Baycott were in that game and played significant minutes in that game. <clears throat> so I guess the hope would just be that they could get back to what they were doing offensively. Hunter Tyson uh, is out. Uh, for I saw Clemson, that shoulder. A, a pretty big deal. Uh, one of their better players. And so really, if they can just shoot their kind of normal percentage, and neutralize P.J. Hall to some degree, then I, I do think they have a chance to win the game. But with this Carolina team, you just you don't know who's going to show up from one game to the next. So it, it could be the NC State team that shows up. It could be the Duke team. We'll just have to see on Tuesday. Definitely hear you guys, though, and agree 100% on the types of shots they're taking. All right. Uh, we've said everything we can say about this current roster. going to take a quick break, let the national guys come in here and run some ads. We're going to come right back and talk a little bit of uh, recruiting stuff. There is some news. Uh, we do have some info. We'll share that with you as soon as we get back. Stick around to the Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, welcome back to the Coast to Coast podcast. Talking with Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran. We've reset everything we could say about the current edition of the Tar Heels, but right now, going to hit a little bit of a, a little bit of a sounder as we bring you the weekly GG Jackson update. Well, I thought we were going to. <laughs> it's 
Stupid YouTube. Live radio. Live radio, guys. I think I would have learned this. I had everything set up too, man. This is what I this is what I get for planning. Hopefully John can edit this. I'm sure it's gonna be great, whatever it is. Yes, it's gonna be amazing. And it's there's still no sound. This is this is an absolute fail. This is an epic fail of of major proportions. I got I got nothing. This this was the worst thing I've ever done. I think we should leave this in, honestly. There we go. Oh, there it was. <laughs> there we go. Our GG Jackson recruiting update here on the Coast to Coast podcast. All right. Well, Sherelle, Gigi was <laughs> Gigi was in the building for the Duke game on Saturday. Uh, I know that you have some information that you have posted on the premium message boards, um, but do you want to just kind of say, uh, without giving away what you've what you've learned, um, do you want to just say any basics or any any generic high level stuff that that our listeners might want to hear? Um, first off, we need a, a higher production budget. So we can yes, we a, do. Yeah. So we need to talk to, to Ben and Buck about that. Um, but I would say that with Gigi, the most important thing for them, they wanted to come back to UNC um, for a game day atmosphere. So the times that they had been there previously, uh, once last June and then in October, one was just an unofficial visit, you know, on a random Monday during the summer. Uh, right after quarantine ended for, or right after the moratorium on visits ended in June. So they're there for that. And it wasn't, wasn't a lot going on on campus. And then in October, they were there for uh, late night HD, uh, which is a cool event. It's loud, lots of fans there, but it's still not a game. And so they wanted to be there for an actual game. They'd been to Duke for a game in South Carolina for a game and Georgetown for a game, but they hadn't experienced it at North Carolina. So that was kind of the reason um, that decided to make the trip. And uh, by all accounts, they enjoyed it. And uh, we'll, as we said, the story is up on uh, the premium site. You can check it out. Yep. And obviously, if there's more, we will hit the reggaeton horns and, and blast those and we'll give you more information. Sherell, also, UNC, two of UNC's four signees for next year were in the building, Seth Trimble, Tyler Nickel, and Jaron Stevenson made his second visit in what, 10 days, a week, something like that? Uh, yes, it's fourth of the season, I believe. Um, so he's been uh, a frequent visitor. Part of it is that he lives right down the street. He lives in Pittsburgh. Um, so it's a very easy drive to get to the Smith Center. And, you know, if a school is recruiting you and they're down the street, why wouldn't you take advantage of it? Gigi Jackson has done the same thing uh, with South Carolina. So he, he's been a regular visitor to the Smith Center. It's kind of funny. The visitors from late night uh, in HD were Seth Trimble, who was there for Duke, Jaron Stevenson, who was there for Duke, Gigi Jackson, who was there for Duke, and then uh, Tyler Nickel was there as well. Uh, so a good group of, of recruit there, um, two signees and, and two players who were offered who they really want. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, that's kind of how it went this weekend. And before anyone asks, because I know it's, it's a question, uh, you know, one game for 99% of recruits doesn't mean anything. Um, now, a season or two seasons or three seasons, yes, but – one season doesn't because all these guys are super confident and what they're looking at is the guy who plays their position, what he's doing, what he's allowed to do, how he does it and how he, you know, the player might fit into what that particular player on the court is doing. Um, so that was, I think what all four of those guys did. And uh, for UNC, you know, Brady Manning had a pretty good game. He's a four um, and North Carolina's talked to Gigi specifically about, you know, kind of playing anything from three through five. So that would be Leaky, Manic, and then Baycott. Well, and it's also really cool that you pointed out the nucleus of these four four kids who 
you know, may or may not have a chance to play together, you know, based on what their, their plans are, but that's really cool to see that those guys have spent some time together. All right. So for this coming week with the Florida state uh, coming to town, North Carolina hosting them, uh, it sounds like we're also going to have another one of the commits for next year, one of the signees for next year coming in, and then another prospect who's making his second trip to Chapel Hill. You want to talk about him a little bit or talk about those guys a little bit? Yeah, Jalen Washington will be taking his senior year official. So for those not familiar, you can take um, uh, up to five official visits um, as a junior, and those go from basically the start of your junior season to, I believe, July 31st, the summer after your junior season. And then you can take five as a senior as well from August 1st until you graduate. And Jalen Washington took his visit back in June, committed to UNC in July, and then hasn't been back to Chapel Hill since, um, partly because of the surgery he had, uh, but partly because, you know, he lives in, in Indiana and just hasn't been able to be back. But he'll be in the Smith Center um, on Saturday. And then Cam Scott, who visited for the Georgia Tech game a few weeks back, will also uh, be in attendance. This will be his second game in, in three weeks. He is a 2024 wing uh, from Lexington, South Carolina. Yeah, and so I want to talk about that a little bit. Sean, I'll bring you back in for this. Uh, I think one of the big things that North Carolina fans have seen, despite the outcomes of some games this year, what you have seen is that Hubert Davis's system is really going to rely heavily on you know what has been a stretch four, where now it's just a four that can shoot. Um, and when you have that sort of art asset in your arsenal, uh, it's going to make Hubert Davis's offense work a lot better. A uh, guy like Cam Scott, talk about what you've seen watching his game and then why players like that are going to be so important uh, in upcoming recruiting classes for Hubert Davis to have success. Yeah, Cam Scott is, is definitely a guy I want to watch a little bit more of from a full game perspective, but you know, you got to love what you see from the highlights. Uh, he had now granted, granted was playing U15 as a freshman. So, you know, a lot of guys will play U16, but you know, he did play with Jaron Stevenson on team United uh, in EYBL and you know, he had very good numbers uh, and very efficient, efficient numbers. So, you know, that's something good to, to see at, at that young age. But I think for, for him, I mean, he's a, he's a smooth wing scorer that is athletic and, and can shoot the ball. And I think, you, you know, we've talked about UNC missing that really over the last handful of years. So I think being able to get, you know, an explosive wing score is going to be crucial to, you know, to, to Hubert's success in the long run. And, you mentioned stretch four. Um, I mean, I mean that, I think that's really the key just in terms of, of anybody going forward, if you're going to lose the offensive rebounding advantage that, that Carolina possessed all these years um, you know, right now they kind of have half, half the puzzle made with, with Brady on offense and the ability to stretch the floor, knock down threes, but you're still missing. We talked about it before. You're still missing on defense where you're basically starting, you know, two centers on defense. So of course there's going to be that, that mismatch. And if you can get, you know, a legit four that is not going to, you can put them in pick and rolls, you can put them in switches, you eliminate the ability to attack, um, you know, mismatches. That is the key to the future is getting that on, on both sides of the ball. Right now we have it on, on one, <laughs> but as we saw it, it you know, the, that's still where teams want to attack uh, on when they're on offense. And, and that is, I think why Gigi, it, you know, obviously, his talent, but, you know, a key to, you know, almost getting, you know, for Duke, it was Jabari Parker. Um, and, and for UNC, I think it's Gigi Jackson of getting somebody very talented in that position on, that can play both sides of the ball. All right, fellas, 
give you your last chance before we put a bow on this show for this week. As always, I love what you guys bring. I, this is fun for me, and that's that's really all that matters, right, is, is how much does Joey enjoy this. But you guys know I, I look forward to this every Sunday night, and I'm lucky at Inside Carolina uh, lets us do this. So I appreciate you guys bringing the insight and the perspective, even when the results of the week are not as fun to talk about. Anything else y'all want to mention before we get out of here, Sean? What are you working on? How's that? What, what's, what's, coming, what's coming soon from the mind of Moran? <laughs> Sounds like uh, a really awesome blog, Mind of Moran. The Mind of Moran, or, yeah. or a new Netflix series, <laughs> sci-fi series, yeah. Uh, uh, not, you know, not, two weeks ago, we had the, the videos on Trimble and, and Nickel. Um, you know, I, I think just continuing to watch them, maybe we'll get back with, with uh, Wiltshire because he, he has a few uh, games coming up. So, you know, I think just digging into them more because all – you know, they're, they're going to be obviously extremely important to, uh, to how next year goes. Um, but I think once again, you know, it, it could have been easily been an Owen two week, um, which I think is, you know, the <laughs> was worst case scenario when we recorded this, um, you know, this last week, I think one and one probably expectations. Um, you know, I think they need to be two and O when we're doing this, this next week, or it'll, it'll be viewed as another, frustrating week and you know right now they they're ranked around 45 in Kenpon um and as, as you said there's not a lot of Q1 wins coming up so you got to at least keep stringing stringing the wins together and not you know racking up the losses given given the deficiency you know deficiencies that'll be in their their resume come come a month from now well and if it, it, we've also learned that if, if UNC does not have a 2-0 week this week then all of Sherelle's uh you know octogenarian friends are going to be struggling with their nerve medicine because that's what he's talking about earlier but <laughs> all the people he talks to the carolina fans just say that it gets it, it gets their nerves messed up but <laughs> sure anything else you want to add before we get out of here man that was an old pool my grandma gatsy uh gatsy rich back in the day she just had this huge container and i, I don't even know like the, the, like the big sam's container yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it was just a huge container and this huge pills and she called them her nerve pills I, I don't know what they were actually designed to do but they were her nerve doesn't pills. matter yeah, it doesn't matter. If Granny um, said they work, man, they work. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the only thing I have, you know, I like to keep track of this number each week. So <laughs> conference only defense. North Carolina was number three last week, and they are tied for fourth now with Clemson. Uh, so they fell. They they were number one for a while, fell to two, fell to three, fell to five, got back up to three, and now are tied for fourth um, after that performance on um, Saturday. So, uh, interesting tracking that I, I still can't believe they're in the top half of the ACC in conference only defense, but I think maybe that's, yeah, that shows the partly, ACC, right? Yeah. That's that, an, that tells an you indictment about the of the league. Absolutely. Yeah, and then their schedule, um, I guess has been pretty favorable thus far. So, um, just always something to watch. And then the other stat we said to watch was the, um, assist to field goals made. And you just look at the, look at that for Duke and I can tell you a lot about, how they were moving the ball and how the offense got going. Yeah, it was it, Duke looked like they were getting everything they wanted uh, at the beginning of both halves. It was it was clinical. Uh, Sean, I know you said you you were done, but maybe you have one more thing you want to you want to throw out there. Well, yeah, just piggybacking on Terrell because I was looking at that earlier today uh, in terms of conference only numbers and and yet you know defense they're they're tied with Clemson, but. Obviously, what jump, jumps out is that, that turnover percentage dead last in the conference. So, you know, nothing has has changed uh, from, you know, prior, prior to 
conference play to now in terms of the inability to to generate turnovers, uh, which obviously can create easier baskets offensively. Uh, but then the other thing offensively, you know, there there's similar number number five, but once again, going back to that two point percentage, they're 14th. Um, and, and you look at the numbers and you're like, you know, Brady's shooting well, Armando's shooting well, RJ's, de- you know, decent. <laughs> and, uh, you know, once again, it goes back to, to Caleb's 20, 28% in conference play and his ability to figure out what are shots he can make. Uh, obviously you're not going to make everything, but what are shots you can make? And I think for him, that's, you know, kind of that pull up jump shot is where he showed he was comfortable last year. Cause once he kind of gets into no man's land, you know, it's, it's basically a turnover. And when you've only got five guys getting significant minutes, if one of those guys has a 28% mark, it's going to kill everybody. Yep. Um, but Hey, I've, that's as much math as I want to talk about for the week. All right, fellas, as always, you guys bring so much to the show. I know inside Carolina subscribers appreciate it. And hopefully to show their appreciation, they will, uh, rate and review this here podcast because that really helps us. Uh, and again, if you don't like what we're doing, Hey, shoot me a note on the message boards or, uh, or hit us up on Twitter or social media. Just let us know, you know your comments and your thoughts, but we certainly hope you've enjoyed this episode of the coast to coast. Uh, we'll be right back. Same time, same place next week, talking about the week that was, hopefully we'll have some insight about any recruiting developments, but you guys know that's what Sean and Sherelle bring every week. So we appreciate it again, bang that rate review button. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure you're getting all this sent directly to your device so you can get it as soon as it drops. But for Sean Moran, for Sherelle McMillan, I'm Joey Powell. This has been the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Late. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where is a roommate? It is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.